Um, I'm just going to read our scripture for today, which is um, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. And in the Pew Bible, that is 984. So if you want to turn there with me. Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and the obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word as it is what has led Kristen and a number of people to serve this refugee community. So we ask for that power to be present this morning as we go through Colossians, that you would speak to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, so faithful in that ministry. Doug spoke here several weeks ago through 1951. Doug was one of the, the folks with a group of other seminary students who started that study that was so influential in kind of launching our refugee ministry. And part of it, I think, influenced Doug into founding 1951. Uh, maybe not, I don't know. Looking at um, these verses here, I think typically when people look at this, they kind of just look at this as a list of do's and don'ts. Um, I want to push back a little bit on that and say that it's not that. Um, I don't think anyone here would argue that sin is very prevalent in our world. It's very prevalent in our lives. Um, we, we know this, right? I don't think there's anyone here that would argue that. Um, we just had a memorial service here yesterday afternoon for a 24-year-old who was shot four times. Um, I don't think anyone here would argue that, you know, after, after experiencing something like that, to know that there's darkness here. I don't think anyone here would argue that after you become a Christian, <clears throat> your life just becomes pure bliss. And... Um, you don't experience any more problems. Everything just works in your favor. Anything you ask for happens, you know. No one thinks that, right? And all you have to do is talk to the mother of that 24-year-old. Our world has really, really serious issues. And the Bible shares with us this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Before you guys think this is a gloom and doom message, it's not. You know, we, we also know that there's beautiful things about this world. 
that there are wonderful things. There's some real beauty. We see glimmers of hope and peace and joy. We experience both of these extremes in our life where we have this really terrible thing happening and then we have these wonderful things happening and and in between all of this we live in this continual irreconcilable spectrum of these two extremes in our life and we're going to experience this kind of ex- this kind of a spectrum until the return of Jesus and yes Jesus has come he has victory over sin and death but it's still with us and it won't be until his second coming that the sin will no longer be. So we have victory in Jesus Christ, but we still experience the darkness of sin in our world until he comes again, until he returns. So we still have to deal with this continual struggle uh, until his return. So all these conflicts we witness and, and some that we even experience firsthand are, are evidences of this spectrum, of this darkness that surrounds us, this darkness in the world, the devil, the flesh. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now for those in Jesus Christ, we are living in this world, and the world, the devil, the flesh, are all at work in us as well, that Something we keep, need to keep in mind as we enter into this sermon, this message this morning, is that sin is an inside job. It's, it's inside of us. Our sin nature doesn't need much help to venture away from God. And what Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 is about is dealing with our sin. As Christians, we, we have died to sin, but that sin hasn't died in us. That sin remains. You know that saying, um, you can take the person out of Oakland, but you can't take the Oakland out of the person? Like, that's that's kind of like sin. Like, it's, it's sin. It's still in us. You know, you go wherever you go, it's still in you. But what has changed for the Christian is, is the status of that. That it, it no longer reigns, but it remains. The way we relate to sin has changed. We are are no longer enslaved to it because Christ has set us free from it. But it doesn't mean that this battle within us is over. We fight against it all the time, don't we? And we know Jesus Christ is already victorious over it on the cross. We know that it's done, but that battle, the war is won, but the battles are still happening. There's still these remnant battles that are continuing to happen. Galatians 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What we want to do happens all the time, yes? We have this sin nature in us. But how often do we find Christians attempting to change who they are by outwardly changing? So then we try to change what we do and what we look like and what we say and the movies we watch, the music we listen to. 
all these outward things that we do, when it is actually the sin that is within that needs to be addressed. So we change a bunch of outward actions, but inside, our minds, our hearts, our desires, our longings are still pretty rotten. So what we really need to address isn't those outward moral behaviors, but our new identity in Jesus Christ. That we have died with Christ, chapter 2, verse 20. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ, chapter 3, verse 1. This is all in Colossians. This is kind of how Paul is like setting up his foundation. That we've been hidden with Christ, chapter 3, verse 3 that we will appear with him in his glory, chapter 3, verse 4, and it is with Christ in all of these ways that we finally get to verse 5 in Colossians 3. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul is addressing Christians in this letter. Let's keep that in mind also. Regarding this issue of indwelling sin within us, he's addressing Christians as he's writing this on how to deal with their sin. So what is a Christian? Looking back into Colossians again, it is a person who has exercised their faith in Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.4. It is someone who has been delivered from darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, verse 13, chapter 1. A Christian has been reconciled to God through Jesus' death in order to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach before him, Colossians 1, verse 22. That's a Christian, as described in Colossians. And so this letter is to Christians, as described in Colossians 1, that Paul wrote to, writing to them to clarify doctrine, to address the way that they were living. And so chapter 3 is where Paul gets a little bit more practical with what he's already written from the previous two chapters, as to say, this is what a Christian is. Now, why mention this? I mention this because if you share verse 5 with a non-Christian, it's foolishness. What are you talking about? I'm fine with this stuff. What? Sexual immorality? You're crazy. I like it. So if you mention this to a non, it just doesn't make sense to them because if they are a non-Christian, it's, chapters 1 and 2 aren't to them. So then when you get to 3, chapter 3 is not for them. And it's because of our new identities in Jesus Christ that our relationship to sin has completely changed. That as new creations... We relate to sin completely different than how we once did. That our affections are completely different. So where we spend our money, where we look for hope, what we love to do, where our heart goes, where we love being, who we love to do things with, all these things, we can see how someone identifies themselves through those things. Those things reveal the identity of a person and their relationship with Jesus. So, what is your identity this morning? Is it in Christ? Where are your affections this morning? And we're not talking about religion. There are a lot of religious people 
who are not walking in Jesus Christ's victory, who aren't sure of where they're going because their identity simply hasn't changed. Have you been born again? And maybe you have a religious routine in your life, which includes coming here every Sunday morning. But you don't feel the reality of Jesus in your life. Where you have religion, but you don't have a relationship with God. And if this is the case, that whole exterior life of attempting to live a particular way to uphold a Christian moral life seems empty. And it seems meaningless. And at times it even seems foolish. And the reason is, is because it is. Because if you don't have a new identity, it is just foolishness to you. Why do it? And would, it would feel that way if you were not born again. What is your relationship to Jesus this morning? What, what is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? And if he's simply just an example or just a teacher, anyone can be that for you. It doesn't have to be Jesus. But is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Who you've trusted your life to, to follow him wholeheartedly in complete devotion, no matter what, even when the scriptures don't make sense to you that you have faith, he said it. So I'm going to live it. I live for Jesus. Because it's very hard to be on the fence, isn't it? Try it. Just sit up there. It's very uncomfortable. It's just so unstable, very uncomfortable, not fun. So before we go any further into this study, we know that this is addressed to Christians. So if you are not one, I want to invite you to have faith in Jesus Christ this morning. So that this can make a little bit more sense to you. Otherwise, it's foolishness. It just goes in your head and you're like, how can they believe that? So just know that. If you're not a Christian this morning, that's how it's going to appear to you. You're going to receive it like that. And if you're this way here this morning right now, why play religion? It's, it, there's so many more fun things to do than religion. Surf, like it's so much better, like it's so much better, right? We, we don't take an attendance role here, so you're not going to get a pin, like it's nothing like that. You know, there's this lady here, um, she was uh, attending here for over 70 years, Lakeside Baptist Church, and Lakeside Baptist Church has these pins every year. If you had perfect attendance, you got a pin. Guess how many she had? 70. Like, seriously. 70. She's like had them on this one dress. And I was told, um, Howard, Howard is kind of like the patriarch of, of Lakeside Baptist Church. He's in the back. Um, her name was Burl. And um, she pinned them on this one particular dress. And it's still somewhere in this church. It floats. And it comes. <laughs> just... And all you hear are the pins jingling. It's just... <laughs> By faith, 
receive Jesus this morning. Let's just pray really quickly. Lord, if there is anyone in here who does not know you as their Lord, as their Savior, as they are just opening their heart and mind to you to receive from you, Lord, would you fill them with that hope? As they walk in faith, may these words penetrate into them for them to have a deeper understanding, to be truly transformed into your image for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've made that decision, um, let's talk. I'd love to give you a Bible and set up a time to answer some questions that you may have. Christians identify with Jesus' death and resurrection, being united with him in it, setting their hearts, their minds on things above so that when Christ appears, we appear with him. We appear with him in glory. This new identity, this new life, a new name that Jesus has given to overcome sin. And so without that, there's no chance in this spiritual battle that Paul is writing about here. So when Paul wrote, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, it doesn't mean that it is gone, that you put it to death and then it's gone, that our sin nature, we know that it can't be removed from us here. We, we all experience this. We know this to be true. Like we all have this sin nature that's still in us. That there will be a day where that sin is eradicated from a believer's life, but it's not until Christ's return. Then what does put to death look like? What is this talking about? Well, this is talking about this moment-by-moment -moment battle. This fight against the mind, the heart, the eyes, the affections to, to battle against anything that pulls me away from Christ to redirect it, to reorder it, to reorganize, rechannel my entire self towards Christ, that my thoughts, my suggestions, my desires, my deeds, my circumstances, my aspirations, anything that draws me away from Christ needs to be put to death. To purposely reject it as soon as I become aware of its presence in me. So sin starts from within. And whether we like it or not, we, we all submit to something. We submit to something. We submit to sin, which drags us away from God. Or we submit to the Spirit of God, which brings us closer into communion with God. But we all submit to flesh or to spirit. We submit to something. Galatians 5, verses 16, 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your, your life is being fought for moment by moment, and yet Christ has won the war. He won the war on the cross. Victory is His, but there are these ongoing battles for your life. And we need to know how to deal with this battle, which isn't just about putting to death what separates me from God. It's also submitting to what unites me with God. And the more we have that affirmation to draw closer to God, the less space there is for something to separate us from God. So what are the things Paul brings up that need to be put to death for the Christian Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
Now we know that all of these things are running rampant in our world, and it seems that those who practice these things are doing just fine. For now. For now. For now, God's grace and patience, it runs deep. But there will be a time when the sin catches up with that individual, and you notice that these sins, you notice what they are, so it's not a list. But what Paul is trying to do is these sins are, are secret. These sins are, are private. They're inside. They're personal. Right? So again, sin begins from within, and Paul addresses the secret places where no one else knows those thoughts. But God knows. No one else does, though. You can keep this from your spouse. You can keep this from your closest friends. Right? Can't you? Look at these things. Sexual immorality. You just keep that from inside. Those evil desires, you keep it inside. All these things are inside. Secret things. And so what Paul is writing is those secret things nobody knows about, those private things, you need to put them to death. And this is really, really hard to do. Why? Because they're so hidden. Nobody knows about them. They're just in your head. You can, you can look like a good guy on the outside, but inside you're just really sexually impure. Your wife has no idea you look at porn. Your wife has no idea you're in those chat rooms. Your wife has no idea that you're looking at whatever you're looking at or talking to whoever you're talking to or whatever. She has no idea. They can be hidden so well. And you can get away with it pretty easily because they're in secret. But it needs to be put to death. So all these things are private things. Inside things. And Paul's just coming up with this list. Like, here's five of them, but... Really, any of that stuff that's on the inside that's just hidden, private, you need to kill it. Now, Paul isn't just, again, providing a list of do's and don'ts because the list would be a lot longer. Victory over sin is not the absence of these things or doing certain things. That's not victory. Victory over sin is life with Christ because the victory is in Christ. And so we're in this continual war, and we will be until death. It doesn't mean that something is wrong in your life. Because maybe you're doing everything right, but since we're in a battle, we're in a battle of the world, the flesh, and Satan, sometimes those things come from outside in, and then they play around with us in our mind. But what worldliness does, it, it invades our perception of reality to bring it to a sub-biblical level. Sin is an inside job. It starts within, it's inside, and yes, we have died to sin, but the sin remains, and the presence of it hasn't changed, but the status has. The status has. It doesn't reign, but it remains. But our relationship to it has changed. Now going into verse 7, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. So ask yourself, how your life was or is living in sin. How is it? And then think about where does that lead? So why choose to live in rags when we're given riches? Why live in defeat when we're given victory in Jesus? Think that long game. And so you think about your past, you recognize your sins for what it is, 
And I think people choose to play with sin because they don't really know how deadly it is. We accept things by justifying them rather than letting the Bible define for us what is sin. So, we justify something like sexual immorality with our reasoning when the Bible clearly states that it's sin. And so we justify it. We start entertaining things. We think, and we, we do this with all sorts of things. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Has anyone struggled with any of these this past week? I'm just curious. Um, forget about this past week. Anyone struggle with this this morning? Like, like, this is real, right? Like, shoot, forget the past week, just in the last four hours. You and I, we, we are battlegrounds between light and darkness. The, the fight happens here, here. And these are a lot more public than the ones in verse 5. You notice that? Um, anger, you see that one. Every night at around 2 a.m., is that right, Billy? We see the anger marching down the street, like the yelling and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it happens every night. These are a lot more public. The obscene talk, just ride Bart, and you, you get it. You know, my wife and I, we were talking about, like, what kind of movies we should um, censor from our kids. And we've kind of come to the conclusion that the ones that are, have bad language, like, there's really no reason to censor that from our kids anymore. Because whether it be school or BART or whatever, like, they hear way worse. Um, anyway, we're, we're, we're still learning, so pray for us. But you can't really see the ones in verse 5, right? You can't see the evil desire. But we can see and experience these. In verse 8, we can see these things more easily at the home. Like you, you, can, you might hide the sexual immorality from your spouse. You can't hide your anger. No way. Like that, that comes out. And, and we see these things easier work at, 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 in the park, on BART, whatever. We see these things. The, the things in verse 5, they can be hidden from your family. They can be hidden from your housemates. But verse 8 can be easily more easily seen. So those are the more public things, right? So verse 5, more private. Verse 8, a little bit more public. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's this is actively putting on, this is actively putting off, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And when, when we mix the two, it, it really confuses everyone as to who we are. So are you the angry, wrathful, malicious, slanderous, obscene person? Or are you the peaceful, gentle, kind, composed, decent person? Because those are very, two very different people. So put off the old and put on the new. And it's this conscientious practice that we need to do, that we put off the old and we put on the new. Verse 9, Paul writes, do not lie to one another, which is putting off the old self. So what is putting on the new self? Let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Paul wrote this as well. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So put off that old self. Do not lie to one another. And then the putting on the new self is speaking the truth in love. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's a, here's a really, really beautiful thing about the church. Where else can you go where these things in verse 11 actually work? They actually happen. We are to be the place where our differences don't divide us because Christ unites us. If any place can unite people, it should be the body of Christ. It should be. We struggle with it pretty badly. But if any place can do it, it should be the body of Christ. And when it's not, it it does speak to our brokenness because Somewhere in there, someone is feeling superior and another person is feeling inferior when Christ is the one who is to be the preeminent one. We are all equal before the foot of the cross. There is not one who is superior. There is not one who is inferior. Whoever is at the foot of the cross is equally guilty of sin and is equally in need of Jesus' blood. And we have the ability to go out in Jesus' name to declare these things that shouldn't divide us because Christ has died for us all and he unites us. As a Christian, we need to remember who we are in Christ. To put to death the earthly things that is in each one of us, dealing with those private matters in our life, killing them. How do you do that? Expose it. Expose it. Don't let it be private anymore. As well as those public things. Those things are very well exposed. You angry people, you're very well exposed. So it's not like, don't expose anymore. Like, expose more of your, but you don't need to expose more of your, that stuff, like, we, we got to just talk and pray, like, let's deal with this stuff. I, that one's a real one for me. Like, I've dealt with that one for years. Years, and I've been meeting with a counselor about this for years. I've been meeting with a spiritual director for years about it. And one of the most assuring, affirming, confirming things that they've shared with me is like, you've become a lot less angry. It's like, thank you. Thank you. I was like, but, and, and, I, and I tell them, it's because I don't want to pay you anymore. So I, it forces me to be less angry. If we don't deal with our sin at the foot of the cross, at the mercy of Jesus Christ, we'll be forced to deal with it at his judgment. So we have choices to submit to the flesh, to submit to the spirit, to deal with our sins at the foot of the cross, at the mercy of Jesus Christ, or at judgment. Let's pray.
Lord, we're so thankful of your grace, of your long-suffering, your patience in us. And I do pray, Lord, that those who made a decision for you this morning, that they, they take hold in good soil, that they would take root, that their lives would be completely transformed into your image for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.